Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, the Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And we're back for week nine. I can't believe we've been doing this for nine weeks already. I Yeah, as I was announcing that and hearing you say it, I was like, wow, I really cannot believe this is week nine plus bonus episodes already of the podcast. I know. It seems like sometimes the the time has been crawling, but it's really actually been flying by. We're into the first week of June. There's a lot of um, people out, you know, just working hard farming and, and planting and harvesting already this time of year. So things are moving along. We're get, We're getting through this COVID situation and quarantine and I think there's a quote that says, you know, that the days may be long, but the years are short. And I'm definitely finding that to be true. I agree. Yeah, it's certainly a busy time down here. Most of our corn is about almost going to get taller than we here pretty quick. So (laughs) we're moving right along. Time keeps marching. Absolutely. And kind of along those lines, Darby, we had some some good time filled today with some great interviews. You got a chance to sit down with Trevor Nutcher. He's our board member and executive at large. And he had a, he had a really great conversation with Trevor today to introduce him to our members. Yep. And then we're going to also catch up today with Annie and her market update. And then I also got to sit down and chat with the king of all things environmental, Paul. And we went over the new RB5 updates. Yeah, and then I took a few minutes um, to sit down. We talked a lot last week about trying to feature dairy families, and we really molded that into what we think is going to be a really cool segment. Because it's the first week of June, and one thing we've yet to mention is it's June Dairy Month, um, we wanted to really focus on the faces of California dairy. And and that's highlighting maybe people that aren't so traditional in the industry. And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to speak with just different folks in our industry who bring a lot to the table. And today I was really fortunate to have some time with one of my oldest friends and also one of our board members. That's Cody Nicholson Stratton. He's a dairy farmer up here in Ferndale. And just to talk about kind of his, his point of view of the industry and how he feels like he fits into it. So we will have another um, great interview next week and the following couple of weeks. And if it's a popular segment, um, we'll be happy to continue it. I've got a lot of feedback from, from listeners that they really enjoy the segments that where we're talking to dairymen directly and hearing their points of view. So I think this will be a good treat for everyone. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that segment. And I'm also looking forward to featuring these dairy families each week on our Instagram. So keep an eye out for that. And you can look for a little bit more info there or maybe just to put a face to the name. Great. Well, I think, Darby, we have a pretty packed episode, so we'll jump right into your chat with Trevor, which I think we all learned a lot from. So, Darby and Trevor. All right, I'm here today with Trevor Natcher. Thank you so much for taking time to join us today, Trevor. Sure, you're welcome. Glad I could be on. Thanks for having me. Um, You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your operation, and your role on Western's board? Sure. So uh, uh, I'm 30, old, 30 years old, uh, married, uh, one a young kid, a boy, he's a two and a half and away. And then uh, we're partners with my uh, parents, my mom and dad also. Uh, we milk about 2,000 cows in Gustine. Uh, we ship to Hillmar. 
um, been members of West United for a long time, um, but I'm uh, the main board, been on there for a few years, and as well on the executive uh, committee, uh, been on there as a member at large for the last couple of years as well. All right, great. Well, maybe if you want to share with some of our listeners why you think your family's been a WED member for that long or what you really feel the value of the organization is. I think it's a really good uh, group, especially in the in lieu of, uh, you know, there's always changing environmental regulations. There's always uh, new things to be aware of and, and uh, new bills trying to be passed for varying different reasons. And uh, definitely a good uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on uh, to be involved at any comfort level, obviously. But uh, it's been interesting to be on the board to see um, uh how many things uh, are talked about that might not come to light, you know, uh, different bills that are proposed and, and, and struck down and uh, the influence that we can have on some of those things. Uh, Paul does a great job with that on the environmental side and, you know, with labor regulations with things like that, just to be uh, aware of what's going on and, and uh, you know, to, to, to be able to affect that in some way to have a voice to at least to, uh, to try and affect that for the better. You know, it's a, we're a small percentage of the population, dairy farmers, and to be able to, uh, uh, yeah, have some have some type of uh, uh, grasp on what's actually happening, and and uh, to be able to feel like we can affect some change in that. That's a it's a great uh, great group to be a part of to be able to do that to be able to see that. Yeah, I think there's a whole other kind of world that happens sometimes behind the scenes, and it's been really interesting, even for me coming out of college and then starting as a field rep and kind of opening the door to this whole other side of things that occur in the dairy industry, be it legislatively or environmentally. And I think it's been, it's been a huge learning experience for me. I know personally, you know, since I started a year and a half ago, there's just so much that goes on. No, absolutely. And legislatively, like you said, state and, and uh, federally as well, it's, it's a, it's a huge ball of wax, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, we've kind of entered into or are three months ish into now this kind of weird new normal that we've been talking about. And are there any kind of changes that you've implemented on your farm or just encouraging words you have for our producers as we kind of go through this crazy and unprecedented time? Yeah, it, it definitely is a crazy and unprecedented. You know, I haven't checked in about 10 minutes, but I'm sure something else has changed. It seems like it's going pretty fast. But um yeah, as far as uh, COVID, I mean, we're pretty much business as usual in our place. Um, we do have a fingerprint scanner, so that was uh, for the for the uh, time clock that we use, and so that was the only thing we did was, you know, put some alcohol swabs there so guys can clean it off between use. But um, yeah, everybody wears gloves dealing with the cows and things like that. Uh, Distance-wise, we've you know guys are not close together for really anything but um, yeah we just had a safety meeting yesterday actually just part of our, our normal routine and that yeah, was something that got brought up and just talked about for you know making sure folks are are uh, aware of how diseases transferred and whatnot and, I mean it's good you know to make sure to stay healthy in general and we think it's been largely blown away out of proportion and and uh, you know been a big excuse for obsessive intrusion into into businesses and our lives and everything else so uh, we've tried to maintain you know uh, business as normal as best we can and and uh, you know normal normal proceedings and you know uh, like we've been doing just before but uh, we we did actually have 
uh, an employee who tested positive for it. Um, this is back in, I think, early March, and uh, his, his, his spouse and his wife had gotten sick, and she had a small fever and a, a cough for two, three days, and she went and got checked, and the whole family did, and so he tested positive. He never had any symptoms, and he passed his quarantine period and came back to work, and everything was fine. So, I mean, I think it's uh, definitely something that's out there that, you know, people are getting sick from, but it, uh, to the extent where we all need to be terrified and and uh you know i think it's a i think it's something that's been largely blown out of proportion and and uh you know be smart but at the same time it's it's uh it's an individual responsibility thing right i mean it's up to ourselves to keep ourselves healthy to know what we should or should not do and that's not necessarily the position of authorities or government to tell us to you know, mandate certain things. That's, uh, that's my two cents on it. But uh, uh, not to get on a little soapbox. But yeah, definitely uh, just trying to keep business as usual and, uh, uh, you know, make sure guys are uh, aware and staying healthy and basic things like that. So yeah, you're not the only one who has that little bit of a soapbox, uh, <laughs> soapbox idea about it, I can assure you. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of... Uh, well, and then this whole thing just leading into the riots and all this other, you know, mess. It's just, and now COVID is hardly talked about. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of, it's interesting to see the media hype, you know? Yeah, I think interesting is a good word. The way the media cycle works oh. has really been displayed through all of this. Yeah, except the agenda, except the agenda. You know, it's just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Soapbox over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay I think a lot of our listeners might just be right there along with you in the soapbox so I think it's it's an all right one well is there anything else that you kind of like to add as we wrap this up I know it's a busy time of year for everybody so trying to get the information out and do it in a timely manner sure um no just everybody stay safe out there it's uh, like you said it's a fun time of year with the we're getting our corn planted and irrigating pre-irrigating and a uh, good time of year it's heating up and uh, that was another topic on the safety meeting yesterday with the heat stress but uh, actually one one uh, fun bit of info we just found out we were on the um the rec action everywhere the animal activist groups we were uh, they had noted our dairy as one of the dairies in california that they put on some site so that was kind of a exciting i guess you could say <laughs> But, yeah, they released that map with a bunch of dairies on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so go figure. I, I don't know, uh, kind of just with everything, like when you guys had Vern Warnke on, Sheriff Warnke on, you know, with everything that's gone on, at least in our area recently, it's a, it's a little unnerving. People are definitely on high alert with things. So, um, but uh, yeah, I hope everybody stays safe and uh, kind of encouraging to see, you know, cheese prices rebounding very strongly and, you know, see how long that lasts, but it's, uh, it's encouraging to see things, things turn around a little bit there. Yeah. But I think it's a good reminder for everyone, just especially during this time, just keep your eyes peeled and stay alert and yeah, stay safe. Just like you said. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, you gotta watch out for, you know your family and your employees and the cows and everything else it's just uh people get desperate and especially with the riots and whatnot going on it seems like it's not so much in in the central valley or not so strongly anyway but they're in, you know the dairy area rural community but uh you know people people uh have more time on their hands with everything and you know uh it's not always a good thing either 
Yeah, I agree. They say idols hands are the devil's workshop. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again for having me on today, Trevor. We really appreciate it. Sure, no problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, right. appreciate the podcast. It's very entertaining. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it was great chatting with Trevor amidst his busy schedule. And now we're going to jump in with a fairly upbeat market update with Annie. Well, thanks, Melissa and Darby. Um, I'm actually happy to be here this week. Well, not that I'm normally not happy, but particularly happy to be here this week because there's been some positive movement in dairy markets. And it's, I mean, it's been a crazy year so far. We know the volatility has been through the roof and really... I think the volatility kicked it up a notch, even if that was even possible, but it went the right way this time. And so um, to top all the unexpected that we've seen so far, the block cheese price set a new record at the CME and not a record low like we were looking at just maybe about a month ago or so, a new record high as the price hit 252 per pound this week. And so we've had a lot of questions on this. What's going on? Um, is the market, you know, falling its head? What is happening? And I think there's there's multiple reasons uh, that push the price where it's at. But a few of them is if you know look back just a month and a half, two months ago, all that was in the news um, was really focused on closures, how the economy is going bad, people filing for unemployment. Every news article was bad news after bad news. And now now that the news cycle is um, that much more positive these days, but at least regarding coronavirus, we've moved into a more positive outlook in that regard. And so there's reopening plans that are filling up headlines. You know, each state is coming up with how things are going to open up. You see, you know, pictures of people sitting down at restaurants. A lot of patios are open. And, you know, around the country, things are opening at different rates. But nonetheless, most areas are seeing a lot of restrictions that are easing. And so with that, there's a lot of restaurant um, people that have to refill now their uh, pipeline of product. And so they're all hitting the market at once. Um, on top of that, you have retail demand that's still pretty, you know, keep keep going at a good pace. There's all the USDA purchases for, you know, the, the food donation program that are still ongoing. And exports, you know, they're not seeing anything uh, major on the upswing, but still doing okay. And so if you combine that with the restaurants that are really revving their engines, gearing up for customers to cross their doors again, um, that really has created this um, opposite situation of a few months ago, where now it's like a crunch demand. And so the search for fresh cheese has really turned into a frenzy. And so all these cheese prices going up, they're bids to buy, and they keep pushing the price up. And so, you know, people in Chicago asking, where's the cheese? Um, so this is really good news that we're seeing this improvement. Um, but that being said, I don't want to be sound pessimistic, um, but it still sounds like 250 cheese might not be sustainable, you know, in the long run. Um, if you look at uh, what we've seen, you know, in the past and more normal situations. So we expect it should go down a little bit, but at least... In the short run, this is really helpful because, as you know, eventually CME prices tend to um, lag USDA prices. And so those high prices will have a repel effect on USDA prices, which are those that impact your milk check. So obviously, this optimism started, won't see any of that on the main milk check, which unfortunately will be probably the lowest of 2020. 
Uh, but as we move forward, though, there's something to be looking forward to because June should be quite an improvement. Um, another reason why this 250 in the long run might be tough to sustain is, you know, we're quite a bit above uh, global prices. And at some point, you know, our, our competitiveness for export might, might get hit significantly. If you look at the latest global dairy trade auction, the average was $1.60 per pound. I'm not saying we need to go back down all the way, uh, but certainly um, might see that in the next few months. So what that means, though, is as we look at the especially short-term futures market, is looking really high. And so if you're somebody who does risk management or um, you know played with dairy revenue protection program, uh, a few months ago, the options were really limited or to an existent even. But now we're looking at class three futures that are approaching $19 for July. So there's definitely some opportunities out there. And if it's something you, you have questions on, feel free to reach out. Always happy to, to help with questions and um, help you get uh, in the right direction for that. And so uh, that that was a big focus on cheese. But since all the good news is surrounding cheese, I really wanted to cover that topic um, this week. Butter markets weren't as strong, but they still moved up, you know, trying to catch up to what's going on in the overall optimism in the dairy markets. They gained 13 and a half cents this week on the USDA price, so they, they're up to $1.56 per pound. CME prices are still ahead, $1.72. We're not back to the $2 levels that we're, we've been accustomed to in the previous few years, but it's still a big improvement from um, where we've been. And if we look at the two other commodities that impact FMMO price formula, I'll go quick because it's not quite as positive. Uh, Non-fed dry milk and dry away both suffered a small setback this week. The non-fed dry milk price dropped just over a penny. It stands at $0.84 cents a pound. Um, the outlook for powder isn't uh, horrible because really, you know, as cheesemakers are looking for product to fortify their vat, some of that uh, demand might move there. So domestically, there's a little bit of um, positive there. Uh, but that being said, prices for powder globally are a little bit higher than the U.S., but not dramatically. And so since that's a commodity that tends to really follow what's going on outside our borders since, you know, close to you know, 60, 75 percent of the powders exported, it usually doesn't move that much away uh, from that. And so it might take a little bit of time, you know, slowly, little by little, like we had been doing last year until we make our way back closer to a dollar. And finally, dry whey mentioned lost a small amount, just you know, quarter of a cent, uh, but still in the thirty-eight cents a pound range. So very steady where it's been really for the past few months. So this concludes the market update for this week. As usual, if there's questions, feel free to reach out to me, Annie at wudairies.com. And that's it for this week. So I'll kick it back to Darby and Melissa for more interesting information this week. Thanks, and talk to you next week. Thanks so much, Annie, for adding a little sunshine to our week with that upbeat market update. Speaking of sunshine, for those that don't know, our next guest has a nickname amongst the staff and board members, Mr. Sunshine. Paul Souza is up next with a little bit of information about what's been going on in Region 5 as far as water quality regulations are concerned. All right, well, I'm here with West United's Director of Environmental Affairs, Paul Souza, and we're going to talk about Central Valley Water Board Enforcement. How are you today, Paul? I am pretty good. Thank you for having me again, Darby, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to get to talk to our members and let them know what's going on with uh, environmental issues. Okay, well, what do you have to share with us today, Paul? 
So the water board uh, has recently taken a new enforcement approach with dairies, and I think this is important to share with our members so that they're aware of it uh, and that they can avoid getting into these situations. So the water board has always issued fines for off-property discharges of manure water. But now they're issuing fines and these prescriptive orders called cease and desist orders for dairies that are over applying manure to their own cropland. Uh, this is new and uh, dairies need to be aware of this change in regional board enforcement. Uh, the regional board recently adopted two such cease and desist orders for dairies as a result of Oprah application of manure to their own cropland. So what do these new orders require a dairy to do? So there's a lot in there uh, and they're specific to the dairy, but the ones that I've seen, these orders are requiring the dairies to comply with the dairy WDR and following its nutrient management plan. First of all, there is additional reporting to the water board. There's additional and extensive soil sampling. Uh, these dairies have to install flow meters and there's the requirement that these dairies install infrastructure to solve the issues that they had among other things. So, these are very significant and costly orders that uh, dairies really want to try to avoid getting into this situation. Uh, in both of these cases, cases, the installation of solid manure separation equipment was required uh, in these orders. Uh, this winter, I met with the water board to talk about these issues, and they said that there's some dairies that are not following their nutrient management plans and that these orders were a new incentive to comply. Staff said that they're not interested in collecting fines. What they ultimately want is compliance with water quality regulations, which is why they will be using these orders for dairies going forward. Uh, they've always had these tools available to them. They just haven't used them much for dairies in the past. Staff also mentioned that they believe there's only a small number of dairies that are in this situation and potentially subject to these orders. Well, I'm sure a lot of our members really don't want to find themselves in this situation. So what can they do to make sure that they, they don't find themselves in this type of situation? Yeah, first is to understand and follow your nutrient management plan. I really think that's the most important piece. Uh, following your nutrient management plan can help you in many ways to reduce liability from enforcement and from third-party lawsuits. There have been other situations in the dairy industry where uh, a nutrient management plan and following that would have helped dairies out that ended up in enforcement or in court. Uh, also, in this case, this was primarily an issue around lagoon capacity during wet winters and having to apply lagoon water to cropland during periods of heavy rainfall or where the crops end up being smothered with manure solids uh, and, you know, killing the crop, basically. So even though this has happened kind of primarily in the winter, when should dairies begin to prepare themselves for this? Yeah, now is the time to start preparing. When you find yourself in the middle of a wet winter and your lagoon is full, there's not much you can do about it at that point. Preparations must be made ahead of time. So dairies should work to reduce lagoon levels during the summer in preparation for the fall. Uh, they can clean out excessive manure solids that have built up in the lagoon over time. This is to ensure that we have adequate lagoon capacity going into winter. If a dairy has a solid manure separation system, they should make sure that it is working efficiently and removing all the solids that it can. If they do not have one or if the separator can be improved, there is funding available from NRCS and potentially from CDFA through the AMP program uh, to install or uh, upgrade your existing separator system. Uh, dairies can also divert clean water from the lagoon to free up additional storage capacity or reduce parlor water use, uh, a number of things like that that they can do. So dairies should make sure that they prepare so that they don't find themselves the target of water board enforcement like these uh, 
dairies that have here in the recent past. Well, thanks for the update on these new orders. Um, are there any other kind of environmental going on, goings-ons that you want to let us know about or that are important to our members? Yeah, there is another big issue that is happening. I've gotten calls from several of our members already. Um, there are letters that went out that many dairies recently received from the Central Valley uh, Regional Water Quality Control Board. Uh, these letters went to all facilities with water quality permits in priority one areas in the Central Valley. This included many different types of facilities and irrigated agriculture, including about 650 dairies. These letters require a response by May of next year, so it's not right away. Uh, my main message at this point that I've been giving to people is that you should learn about this process before responding to the letters. They can follow the web links provided in the letter for additional information. Also, the California Dairy Quality Assurance Program and the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program are working to provide outreach on this topic. So the best thing to do at this time is to wait for that information to become available. Get yourself informed before you make a decision on this. As always, members can call me with questions on these topics or any other environmental issues that they have. And I would be happy to talk to them and answer their questions. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Paul. I know I, you're my favorite environmental resource, and I'm sure a lot of our members tend to reach out to you as soon as they have something in the environmental sphere. So we really appreciate you. Sure. And I'm always happy to talk to members. Um, they should not hold back. If they have a question in their head on an environmental topic, I am more than happy to hear from them. And so they should just pick up the phone and give me a call. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Sure. It's always great catching up with Paul. I feel like every time I talk to him, I learn about a hundred new things. So again, thanks Paul for sharing your knowledge. Now we're gonna jump right over to Cody and Melissa's conversation. Well, thanks Darby. As I mentioned in the opening of today's episode, I am so lucky to be here today visiting with one of my oldest, I guess I should say longest, friends, Cody Nicholson Stratton, who's also a member of Western United Dairy's Board of Directors. Welcome, Cody, to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Cody, we, um, as I mentioned to our listeners earlier, having a segment this month in um, June Dairy Month to celebrate and kind of elevate producers who may not be from the most traditional background in dairy and we thought considering everything that's going on in the world, it would be great to talk to people who come from maybe different experiences, and um, you are one of those people. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Cody, and what you think makes you a little bit different than the traditional dairy producer? Absolutely. Um, so as you said, my name is Cody Nichols Stratton. I am a member of the WUD board, as well as the vice chair of the California Cattle Council currently. Um, I am part of a seventh generation dairy up in Humboldt County and my family has been farming here since the 1860s when my paternal grandmother's family immigrated and so we still actually operate that farm and we've been on our current location for 100 years uh, but what kind of makes us unique is that uh, my husband and I run the farm along with my parents and so I come from to agriculture from an LGBTQ lens um, as well as we are a Jewish family, and we also operate kind of within the regenerative, the regenerative agricultural realm, um, being a diversified farm with both an organic dairy, which is the main part of our business, as well as a grass 
fed meats, uh, lamb, beef, and poultry, uh, climate beneficial wool. And then we really built our Foggy Bottoms Boys brand, which is where we market all that through. Initially, as kind of a goal was to do advocating and give a voice to um, LGBTQ farmers and kind of open up that perspective to everyone. And that's built into a brand. And now we really just kind of chronicle our daily lives as two uh, dads raising a tiny farmer and producing organic dairy and raising grass-fed livestock. And Tiny Farmer recently started talking and saying a lot of words, so you're <laughs> you're definitely having an experience now, huh? We we are having the experience of talking and he runs. So <laughs> that has added a whole new level to farming with an with a toddler. Well, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that only gets worse <laughs> as we I, get older, so uh, I believe well, it. He's sure a lot of fun. Um, tiny Farmer is one of my favorite tiny people. So, Cody, um, growing up in a small, more conservative-leaning community in the farming industry, um, you know, you and I have known each other for most of our lives. And I would say that from my perspective, being a young man who is also gay in that community um, probably wasn't the most outstanding thing about you. I think there's a lot of more amazing things about you, but can you share a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. I, first, I have to say that I've been incredibly lucky. I have a very supportive family, um, you know, and our family is, uh, as time has gone on, we've really kind of filled that role of the modern family. We have gay members. Um, I have a cousin who's transgendered. We're a multi-faith family. So we really have kind of like over time grown. And so we're quite a diverse group. Um, but I have to say, you know, I was very lucky to have a family that was very supportive as well as come from a community that has really shown themselves to be incredibly supportive of all of us as we've grown up and now as an adult living in the community. Um, I will say, you know, I, as well, both of us, we, you know, went through high school 15 years ago was when that started. Uh, And the world was a much different place uh, then opposed to now. Um, You know, the portrayal of members of the LGBT community was different. We, you know, for me, as looking at media, we had uh, Queer Eye and Will and Grace, which really, for a kid who worked all summer to earn money to go buy Pold Hereford, didn't quite represent me. (laughs) (laughs) Social media was different as well. We didn't, we had MySpace, which wasn't the same thing. And so there wasn't the portrayal of, you know, gay farmers out there. And so I was pretty much, you know, paving that path for myself on my own at that point. Um, I didn't really have anyone to kind of look at and say like, oh, this is possible to be openly gay and a member of the agricultural community. Um, So you kind of just had to make that space for yourself. And definitely coming out was hard because it's a personal thing for everyone, no matter how supportive you know your family is, your friends are, your community is. There's always that little bit of self-doubt that worries that things are going to change or that Mm -hmm. you won't be accepted. And so, you know, I didn't come out in high school looking back. God, I wish I had. (laughs) It would have been (laughs) so much less stressful and so much less anxiety in my life, but I wasn't there yet. And that's just how it goes. Um, But now as an adult, I found the ag community has been incredibly supportive. Um, I can't, I mean, when 
my husband and I got married. You were in the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we, you know, so many farmers and ranchers came for our wedding that, you know, people that you probably just passing them on the street would not think, you know, the guy in a cowboy hat is going to show up to, you know, the two gay guys wedding, but they were there. Like we're members of the community. They're supportive. I've really found that, you know, the ag community gets behind you and they really value you as a person and what you bring to the industry and not so much about, you know, who you are on a base level. Um, Certainly there's always going to be those, there's always people in life that are negative, that have less than desirable outlooks when it comes to acceptance. Um, You know, homophobia and bigotry still exists. And so, Unfortunately, you're going to face that, and I don't think there's a member of any minority group that hasn't had to deal with that at some level, but uh, for the most part, I found the ag community to be incredible. Yeah, well, as a as your friend, I can speak to the fact that I was also a little nervous, and I, you know, you just don't know what people are going to encounter, and even though this is the community I grew up in, and I know the quality of people that we you know, are exposed to, it still makes a person a little nervous. Um, So I was, I thought your wedding was great. It didn't hurt that it was probably the best dance party this county has ever seen and seen since. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just, I think it really, um, you know, touches me that, and it shows you the character of yourself and, and your husband, just how much you brought people together and, you know, just, you know, what a great, couple you are and people support you because as you said it's about what you bring to the industry and what you bring to the table as a person and not about you know who you're married to so even though we like him he's okay (laughs) yeah he's pretty good and and I have to say the one thing that was amazing about our wedding was you know we have so many different backgrounds and pull from so many different parts of the community that it was such a merging of the world that it was really just great to see that was definitely so much fun yeah we should have another party like that when we're all released from quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, Cody, you kind of hit on this a little bit already, but one of the things um, maybe you could share with us is, you know, there's a, maybe a lot of young people out there who are in your same position. Maybe they're in high school or college, and they're just kind of nervous about talking to their families or their community about who they are, whether it's because they're part of that LGBTQ community or, or something else. And so – do you have any advice for young people um, yeah, in that thread? Absolutely. We've had so many um, high school age kids and college people and even older um, that have reached out to us that are, you know, struggling with coming out, coming to terms with, you know, who they are, or they feel like they can't live their authentic life. They can't really be themselves and still stay in an industry that they love. Um, and I think that's for us been the great thing about uh, starting our Instagram and our Facebook, the Foggy Bottoms Boys pages, is that it's really given us a way to have normalized being LGBT and ag and to show, you know, that living that life is possible and to connect with people that are having a hard time with that. And I think the best advice I can give is that it is possible, that you can be within the industry you love you can live the life you want to live and live it completely you can have someone you love in your life you can be married you can raise a family you can do all those things that are you know normal for everyone else and still be 
openly gay, be proud of who you are, and be involved in the ag industry. Um, and certainly there's, you know, like I said before, there's always going to be someone that's, you know, a shlamazel. There's going to be someone that's less than ideal that's, you know, going to be a bigot. And that's just part of life. Um, but, you know, they're, I think the best advice I can give people is, you know, someone else's bigotry or hate doesn't dictate your life choices. And it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't uh, influence your value on the ag community because you can give so much to the ag community, no matter who you happen to love, that doesn't play a role in who you are as a person or what you bring to the table. Yeah. I think maybe as an industry that in the last couple of decades has seen a lot of challenges, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to accept people who are just a little bit different and have a different perspective. And those different perspectives are good at helping us solve problems. I think really, we've shown ab- that. Absolutely. I think that we need as an industry, people bringing different perspectives to the table. Um, and we need, you know, agriculture feeds a diverse world. So we need diverse viewpoints within the industry itself that help lead to that. And I've told people this before, you know, but if a, millennial yarmulke wearing gay man can be the vice chair of the California Cattle Council. I think it's pretty possible for you to be openly gay or trans or, you know, any number of things within the agricultural community. So you're not limited. Good people with good values. And they, the main part of those values is that they value people who care and are inherently good like they are. So, yes, absolutely. Well, Cody, before we let you go, because I know you had to milk tonight and you're probably ready for dinner. Um, <laughs> I always think of June as an extra special month, especially for you. It's Dairy Month, it's Pride Month, and pretty quickly here, you're going to have a birthday. So yeah. um, just for our listeners, we won't say what birthday, but um, are, you no, doing anything, <laughs> um, are you doing anything special or different this year to highlight those things in light of COVID-19 or how, how would you encourage people to celebrate all three of those national holidays? <laughs> well, um, so we are doing things a bit differently this year. Um, we've chosen to really utilize social media. We've, we do weekly updates on our farm. And so this month we're doing live updates and we're just going Facebook and Instagram live and kind of sharing our story, letting people ask us questions, whether it's about the dairy, whether it's about um, our life as a married couple, raising the tiny farmer, you know, being a member of the LGBTQ community and ag. And so that's been a great way to connect with people. Um, so we're doing that. We are featuring working with our processor, Rumiano Cheese, to uh, feature recipes on our page. We usually do a weeking, or uh, sorry, a weekly cooking segment uh, that you know does something that comes from the farm. And so this week, we're or this whole month, we're going to do things that feature dairy products. And it's also Father's Day this month, and so oh, yeah. we are, yeah. So this is our second year getting to celebrate Father's Day. And since uh, we are all still kind of in quarantine. We're having just kind of the immediate family that's here on the farm. Um, my parents and grandparents are going to come over, and we're going to have a appropriately distanced Father's Day dinner in the backyard. <laughs> so nice. that's kind of our our dairy month, as well as Pride Month and Father's Day. And Father's Day is the day before my birthday, so it's kind of birthday Father's Day all at once. <laughs> Yay! And hopefully this 
crazy June weather we're having is going to hold out for all of us. <laughs> the I rain ab- is good. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> no, I'm absolutely hoping with just a little bit of warmth and then the rain, we're keeping the irrigation off. So <laughs> yay on electric bill savings. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, geez, Cody, thanks so much for joining us and being willing to kind of step out there of your comfort zone a little bit and, and talk to our members and audience about, your experiences as a dairy producer in California, and you're always welcome back on the podcast. We'll hope to have you again soon. Well, thank you for interviewing me. It was great talking to you. Of course. Have a good one, Cody. You too. Goodbye. Well, we're about to wrap up another great episode. Thank you so much to our contributors, Trevor Nutcher, of course, Antioch Moody and Paul Souza, and Cody Nicholson-Stratton this week. We want to remind everyone that the views expressed by guests on our show don't necessarily reflect the views or positions of the board of Western United Dairymen. So please, please keep that in mind. We have a lot of independent thinkers in our midst, and we want to make sure that you um, understand that their opinions may not be ours. Um, We want to touch on something really quick from last week. We had a little trivia contest. Wasn't as popular as we thought it would be, Darby. So... Um, we're going to just send out a prize to everyone who sent in a correct answer. Um, but just in case anyone was wondering, we wanted to re go over those, those trivia questions. So we'll give you the answers real quick and then we'll probably scrap it in lieu of our more popular segment, which is, uh, the member question segment up next, but what percent of us milk production comes from California Darby drum roll. That's 18.5%. Great. Um, the highest dairy producing county in California is is my neighbor about two avenues over and that's Tulare County and finally what year did California surpass Wisconsin in milk production to become the top dairy producing state and I found out last week sadly Darby wasn't even born yet in this year (laughs) I was just gonna say that I'm a little bit embarrassed and it was 1993 don't be embarrassed I don't know why I said sadly lucky for you you're you're still a young (laughs) 20 something I'm a little bit jealous So again, we've had a lot of questions this week regarding a website that CMAB alerted members to called Counterglow, which documents on a map the locations of nearly all farming operations in the United States, and that's complete with addresses. Members are inquiring what can be done about this violation of privacy, and we do have attorneys and law enforcement looking into the issue. But in the meantime, we'll share a list of ways that dairies can be prepared for trespass issues. First of all, always have no trespassing signs up around the dairy. Signs should be posted at the farm gate and every one third of a mile along all public facing fence lines. And if you need signs, please let us know, we can get them for you. You should update your employees about how to handle unknown individuals who may arrive on farm. Make sure they feel safe asking for identification and notifying farm management and law enforcement if necessary. Make sure your farmyard is well lit at night and add cameras to sensitive areas so you can monitor activity. And if possible, have gates at all entrances to the farm that can be secured when no one is on site. And last but not least, have your local sheriff's number posted prominently and stored in employee phones. Yeah, those are all great tips, Derby. And we're really um, lucky. We want to give a shout out to Sheriff Vern Warnke from Merced County, who brought us a lot of those tips on an episode a few weeks back, but definitely important to focus on some of those safety measures to protect your farm and your employees at this time. I agree. And again, thanks for joining us this week for another episode of Seen and Heard. 
Remember, you can reach out to us in several ways with questions, comments, and content requests. So the best way to reach out to us is through our Gmail. Um, that's wud.pod at gmail.com. You can also always reach out to Darby or I via our personal email addresses. Mine is M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And I'm Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. And before we go, we'll just give a little plug for anyone needing employment resources or help finding employees. Always remember that you can reach out to Rochelle at our office. That's R-A-S-H-E-L-L at wudairies.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. Special thanks to Western United Dairy's 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, F&R Ag Services, Farm Credit Alliance, Moss Energy Works, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information about how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at woodairies.com. That's I-N-F-O at W-U-D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com. Thank you.